Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Would you find Jonah chapter 2? Uh, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2. If you have trouble finding Jonah, it's like stuck right there between Obadiah and Micah and Hezekiah. I'm just kidding. Hezekiah is not a book in the Bible. Um, it's, in that other Bible it's in that other Bible that has like first and second opinions and stuff like that in it. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, Jonah chapter 2, um, and we're going to get there and read that um, in just a moment. First of all, I want to start off by making you a solemn and sacred promise, okay? One that I should have made last week and stuck with, but I promise this week that I will not engage in any uh, corny preacher jokes or weird fishing puns or anything like that because last week I tried some of them and all I got were eye rolls and like looks like what is wrong with you. So I promise this week, okay, I will not make reference to the Humpback Hotel like I tried last week because that was the one that didn't get any laughs at all, okay? I will not do it. I will not do it all. I will not even try to garner cheap laughs today by changing the name to the Beluga B&B. I'm not going to do it, all right? I'm also not going to tell us to dive into the chapter, like I did last week, okay? I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to refuse that one. I'm also not going to try to hook you in, get it? Because that's a fishing pun for, you know, you use hooks in fishing. I'm not going to hook you in to come back next week for part number three. I'm just not going to do it, okay? I promise this week I'm going to cast a more responsible and serious net. I'm not going to do it anymore, okay? I promise. All right, so that's the promise I make to you today, all right? So if you're in Jonah chapter 2, that's good. Just hold your finger there. It won't bite. <laughs> Sorry, I did it again. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there in just a second. All right, let's move on. Um, how many of you are familiar with the name George S. Patton? All right, George S. Patton. He was a general in uh, the United States Army. He's probably one of the most well-known uh, generals. There was a movie made about him that was pretty much just became like a cult, uh, a cult classic. G general Patton was known for being a harsh and tough-as-nails general. He expected everything from you and then some. But the one thing about General Patton was that you could count on him to be successful in battle. And when you're a soldier under command, you want to follow someone who knows how to lead you to victory and how to make you a tough soldier to endure the trials of combat. Patton was known for pushing his soldiers, pushing his cadets to the limits. And a lot of times people looked at his training exercises and they looked at his drills and the way he would treat his soldiers and say, you're too harsh. And they would say that sometimes they wondered if he was actually trying to do good for them or if he was like a sadist or he got pleasure from seeing the suffering of the soldiers underneath him. And when he was interviewed one day, he said this, he said that when it comes to battle, the difference between life and death for a, for a soldier will be how quickly they are willing to give up. If a soldier is not willing to give up, they have the best chance of survival possible. And he said this, when I look at a person, I don't measure their success or their potential for success by how high they can climb, but by how, they, how high they will bounce when they hit the bottom. 
And I wonder sometimes if Jonah had known this quote, this quote came thousands of years after Jonah, but I'm sure this quote would have been encouraging to Jonah because Jonah, right now where we see him, Jonah is headed down to rock bottom. We left off at chapter 1, verse number 17, after he'd been thrown into the waters uh, because of the judgment of God, and he said, look, if, to the soldiers, or to the, to the sailors, if you don't want to lose your life, just throw me overboard because I'm the reason for this storm. And immediately the Bible says, as soon as he hit the water, the winds and the waves stopped and the sea smoothed out. Except for the Bible says that, Jonah, that God prepared this fish to come and swallow Jonah. And so Jonah is headed down in the belly of a fish. I believe it's a belly of a whale. And I'll talk about why I believe it was a whale in just a few minutes. But in the belly of this whale or this great fish, as the Bible says, he's headed down to the bottom. He's hitting rock bottom. The success of Jonah is not going to be based on how, on whether he avoided going down to the bottom, but by how high he bounced in the grace of God when he hit it. And that's a good lesson for us to understand, because how many of you have ever been to the place where you felt like you had nowhere to go up, nowhere to go but up? Like you're going to have to drill up to find oil. You've gotten so low, or you've been brought to a point so low that there's nowhere to go but up. And sometimes that's when God has to get us there so that he can actually begin to work with us. Why? Because we get in the way, don't we? We think we've got something to offer. We think we've got something to bring to the table. Or we think we've got too much to hold on to that keeps us from following what God has called us to do. So what we do is we have to get to a place where none of that is near as important as depending upon God for what he has called us to to do. So this morning I want to look at Jonah chapter 2 and what we're going to see in Jonah chapter 2 is basically this long prayer that he prays from the belly of the fish. But before we get there, God calls Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites. The Ninevites weren't the kindest of people. We talked a little bit about how awful they were. They were they were kind of like, if you could imagine the Nazis in their heyday during the Holocaust, they were kind of like that to all of humanity, especially to the Jewish people. They were terrible. They were not just rough warriors. They were inhumane, and they got joy in their inhumanity towards the Jewish people. So instead of going to Nineveh, like God called this Jewish prophet to do, Jonah says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to opt for early retirement from the prophet business. I'm going to get on a ship, and I'm going to head all the way to Tarshish, which was the farthest place that he could go in that current day. He wanted to go 2,500 miles away from where he currently was, 3,000 miles away from where God called him to go in Nineveh. Tarshish, we believe, is somewhere off the southern coast of Spain. So he's probably wanting to go to this little resort community and just, you know, call it a day and, you know, move into assisted living or something. I don't know what he was planning on doing, but he's like, I'm going to let the young guys take over and they're going to go. Because Jonah, up until that point, man, he was a superstar prophet because he always said good things. God didn't always call prophets to say good things, and prophets got in trouble. But Jonah was a King Jeroboam, like, God's going to expand your territory, and you're going to be, you're going to have a booming economy, and Israel's going to just rise up and be this giant. Who's not going to love a guy who comes and gives messages like that? But then God says, listen, I'm tired. I, I, I don't have a plan for you to talk to Israel right now. I want you to go over to Nineveh, the people that hate you. They're probably going to try to kill you. And then I want you to tell them that I will forgive them if they will repent of their sins. And Jonah's like, man, I don't want to see them repent because they're our sworn enemies. After all they've done to my friends, my family, my countrymen, I don't want to see them repent. I don't want to see them get grace. You ever been there before? We think somebody's just gone too far for them to 
receive grace and almost were upset when they do get it? That's where Jonah was. And so he's like, you know what? I'm out of the prophet business. I'm going off to Tarshish. Except for God said, hold on, man. I didn't give you a retirement plan in this profiting thing. Man, you signed on for life. You're like a Supreme Court justice. You're mine for life. And so God sends this storm to not as much punish Jonah, but to reroute Jonah in his grace, knowing that this is where Jonah needed to be and needed to go. And here's the thing. Jonah gets down to this place where he's as low as he can possibly be. Maybe you've been there before. If you haven't, one day you're going to be there. We all get to that point of desperation, and it's what we do in those places of desperation that really make or break us for the long term. Some of us you will today, or that you will very, very soon. Because in the midst of the hurting that our sin brings upon us is God calling out in grace and in welcoming all who are tired and weary, come to me and I will give you rest. That's God's gracious call. Through all of the running that we do, through all of the fighting that we do, God's gracious call is come to me and find peace. Come to me and find rest. Come to me and find security. Come to me and find life. And so I mentioned this last week, and I want to review it again. I hope that what we can do is accomplish a couple of things through this series. Um, and that is, number one, that we would uh, develop a greater appreciation for the love of God who constantly pursues us even, even when we run away from him. I hope that through this story of Jonah that we don't just fixate upon the fish or the whale, and we don't just fixate upon Jonah, we don't just fixate upon the storm and all of that stuff, but we fixate upon the goodness and the grace of God, and that we learn to fall in love with God even more for the love that he shows through the story. And then the second thing I also hope we do is that we develop a deeper love for other people, especially for the people that we may look at and think, you're the last person in the world who deserves an ounce of grace from God. Because the time that we live in today, with social media, the 24-hour news cycle, and all the things that we see going on, it's really easy to look around and find enemies. It's really easy to do that. And it's really easy to look around and think that there's people that are enemies against us. But what the grace of God compels us to do is to look at our enemies and say, I love you in spite of. And I'm going to pursue you with the grace of God and see real and lasting change occur because we invade this world with the love of Jesus Christ just like he invaded our souls. So that's what I hope that we do. And the theme of this whole series has basically, um, has basically been this, that because of his relentless love, God does not give up on us even when we give up on him. See, Jonah gave up on God. He was done. He's like, man, I give up. I'm trading it all in and I'm gone. I'm going to go live my life in obscurity. I don't, I've never been to Tarshish, but the brochures look nice and I'm headed out of here. I'm going to get as far away from Nineveh and as We are tempted to do that. And there's a lot of times that we are tempted to run. We all have our own personal Tarshish that we try to run to when we think we got to escape. But God loves us enough that even though we run, his grace always catches up with us. So this morning, uh, let's look at chapter 2, because chapter 1 was really not about the grace of God shown to Jonah. We only see the grace of God shown to Jonah in verse number 17. Up until then, we saw grace shown to these sailors, these pagan sailors that didn't even go looking for God, but God presented himself there 
in a way that they couldn't deny, and they became worshipers of God. They had called upon their gods to stop the storm, found out that failed, but when they saw the hand of God on Jonah's life and predicament, they became believers, and I believe they never stopped being believers in God at that point. But in chapter 2, we see God's grace to Jonah. We see Jonah's personal revival kind of take place, but it's a, it's a weird kind of bittersweet kind of revival, and we're going to look at that as well. So let's look at Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And I'm reading this morning from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, and Jonah says, I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from the deep, from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All of your breakers and your billows swept over me, but I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more to your holy temple. Catch that verse number four. I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. Man, that is the grace of God right there. It allows me to still look towards him. Verse number five, the water engulfed me up to the rock. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered you, the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me... I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed, because salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Y'all ready to go get lunch now after talking about a vomiting fish, right? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the parts of your word that are tough. Thank you for the parts of your word that we want to cling on to as well. And thank you for the story of Jonah. I would say, if we could talk to him today, he would say, I wish I hadn't run, but your grace was worth it. Your grace catches up, and I pray, Father, that's what we will see in this time together. In Jesus' precious name we pray, Holy Spirit, teach us. Amen. We need to take, your, take a second, just try to put yourself in Jonah's... coming over here like on Monday and opening up some like cans of tuna and getting like some shrimp and stuff and just putting it under the chairs just so that when we walked in, you know, the smell of the fish would waft through and we would really just immerse ourselves in the experience of being in the belly of the fish. But I decided against that because, you know, that might make people think that we're not clean here and we really want to make sure that we look clean. But just use your creative ability this morning. Imagine what it would be like to be a favored man in your nation and be, kept, be, be sent within the matter of 24 hours from being a favored person within your nation that everybody loves to being someone who you feel that God has now turned his back upon and has sent to die in the gut of a fish. What would be going through your mind? What would you be thinking? What would be taking place inside of you? What would you be thinking at that moment? Last week I pointed out that it's really easy to look at this as just a big fish story. And, you know, there's, it's got everything dramatic to make like for an awesome Hollywood movie, right? A guy gets swallowed by a fish and all of a sudden three days later he washes up on seashore somewhere. And, and he goes and preaches this great revival and all this. I mean, it makes for a really good movie that a guy survived like that. But that's not the story. The story is not about Jonah, God's man who turns from him for no, for no particularly good reason and runs away. 
just out of fear maybe. That's not even the story. The story is the grace of God that lovingly continues to pursue a disobedient child. Just like the shepherd that continues to pursue the sheep that we looked at this summer, even though they're prone to wonder, we see again Jonah. It's a fish story, but it's really a story about a sheep who wanders again, and the shepherd has to go and collect them. And this time, instead of using a, a rod and a staff, he uses a fish or a whale. But it's a continuous sight throughout the scriptures that God continues to pursue the chief of his creation, us. He continues to pursue us. No matter how much we try to escape his pursuit, no matter how much we try to push it off, hold it at a distance, deny that it's there, he continues to pursue us. Why? Because when we all stand before God one day and have to give an answer to this life that we've lived, we cannot say, but God, you never chased me. Because he chases after us. The prayer that he prays is really just a snapshot, or the prayer that we see here is probably just a snapshot of what Jonah remembers praying after, he's, after he ends up on the seashore, because I don't think that Jonah probably laid out this beautiful rhetorical prayer as he's descending to the bottom of the ocean in this fish. His real prayer was probably like, more like, God, get me out of here. You know, or, you know, really garbled underneath of salt water. Maybe he didn't even pray. Maybe he had passed out from fear or from, from the stress of the journey. I don't even know. But this is what I believe that Jonah penned when he got out. And what's interesting is every line of this comes from the book of Psalms. It's actually copied and pasted in and formed as a prayer. See, verse number two, we find in Psalm 18 and in Psalm 120. In verse number three, it actually contains a direct quotation from Psalm 42.7. Verse number 5 is found in Psalms 18 and in Psalm 69. Parts of verse number 7 are found in Psalm 142. The 8th verse reminds us of Psalm 31, and then the ninth verse is connected to Psalm 42. So Jonah's prayer is not even original. Jonah's prayer is plagiarized. Which you know what that teaches us? It's okay. Because Ecclesiastes tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. And what I believe is beautiful is that when we begin to feel like we're copying the prayers of other people, it connects us in a, in a, more, in a more intricate way. It connects me to Jonah that I'm feeling and experiencing and wanting the same things that he's wanting. It connected Jonah to David that he was wanting and asking for the same things that David wanted. Why? Because it reminds us that we all have this thread of commonality that runs through us, and that is we need God. We need God. What this teaches us is that God listens to the cry of our heart more than he listens to the words of our mouth, too. So if your prayer life consists of, man, I don't know if I can pray today because I just don't know if I've got it in me to develop all the words, it doesn't matter. You've always got your heart in you that is praying to God at all times. God hears the cry of our heart more than he hears the cry of our mouth. So you may think that you're too far gone for God to hear you. He's never far from your heart. He's never far from your heart, and the heart is never far from where God needs you to be to return to him. What I find interesting about this prayer is this wasn't really a prayer of repentance. And I, and I know that probably may strike you weird, because I've always looked at it as a prayer of repentance, and I looked through as I was studying this week that, that this was just laced with repentance, but if you look at it closely, there is no repentance in this prayer. Maybe it was in his heart, but the words don't show us repentance. He never repents. 
especially when you compare it to the repentance of David, right? You see, yes, he remembers, what he says within our text, he remembers that the Lord is good, and he acknowledges that salvation only belongs to the Lord, but there is no kind of admission of his own sin. There's no admission of his own guilt, and there's no saying and owning what he had done. He doesn't say, God, I rebelled against you. God, I turned from you and ran away. He doesn't, know, he doesn't make mention of it. He's still trying to hold Jonah up. Jonah's still trying to hold himself up and maintain some sense of righteousness. Not like when you look at Psalm 51 and you see David after his sin with Bathsheba and he's confronted with his sin and he's in his version of the belly of the whale. What does David say? Lord, forgive me for I am undone. I am a man of, of just great sin. Forgive me of what I've done. He says, remove the blood guiltiness from my hands. He admits to everything he's done. But Jonah doesn't do that here. It also seems to be pretty self-centered. Go back later on and look through this chapter as you go home or, or even today right now and circle all the personal pronouns. I, me, my. Yes, he says some amazing things about God and he turns his attention to God, but I believe he does that because he's more concerned about what Jonah can get out of it. And then I also don't think he's necessarily repentant because we're going to see in chapters 3 and 4 the way he acts after he gets out of the fish and, what, and when God starts to use him doesn't necessarily resemble the heart of a repentant man. The, the story of Jonah doesn't end with this glowing, beautiful, happy, hallmark ending. So that's why I don't believe that Jonah was necessarily repentant but he, ne he definitely was a man who called out for salvation. Now, I'm not saying that he wasn't saved by the, uh, like the grace of God. I'm saying he was calling out, God, save me from my predicament. This is a classic example of a guy who's bargaining with God. Man, get me out of here, and I'll do what you want. I give up. I'm done running. You know what? What we see here is God hears those prayers too. Why? Because his glory and his purpose is worth that. So here's the big idea of the sermon that we get. Because this, at best, we could say that this prayer is an imperfect prayer. But I'm thankful that God hears imperfect prayers because imperfect people pray imperfect prayers, right? And every one of us are imperfect. Every one of us. So here's the big idea of the sermon. When I deserve him the least and I need him the most, God's there for me. Least and I need him the most, God is there for me. When God is justified to say, I told you so, when God is justified to say, that'll teach you to run for me, I'll go find another prophet to do my work, he says, I'm not going to give up on you. You deserve me the least, but you need me the most, so I'm here for you. This is the grace of God at work. So let me ask you a couple of questions. After rejecting God in chapter 1, do you think that Jonah really deserved God's presence in his life anymore? No, he rejected God. He's a prophet of God. He's supposed to do what God says. And the whole purpose that he's there is to do what God says. He says, I'm not doing it anymore. So what's his purpose anymore on earth? He doesn't deserve it. As he began to drown, would you say that Jonah needed God like he never needed him before? I mean, I don't know if Jonah was prone to drowning oftentimes. I would say this was probably the first time that he'd ever been in the belly of a whale. So this is probably his most dire situation in his life. And even when God was there for Jonah, do you think that Jonah would probably have preferred that God rescued him in another way? I mean, think about it. You're Jonah, right? We're still, we're still pretending to be Jonah. Are you thinking, hey, God, could you have just maybe found a more comfortable way to do this? 
I'm okay with the storm, but maybe could you have sent, uh, could you have maybe caused those sailors up there that once the water stopped, they could have just thrown me like a, 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 a lifesaver ring or the, they could have thrown me a piece of wood or something I could have floated on. They could have pulled me back into the boat and then we could have gone back to shore. Or maybe you could have, instead of sending a fish, you could have sent this big giant sea turtle, you know, like Crush from Finding Nemo that I could have just ridden on his back all the way into shore. Or maybe you could have sent a beautiful mermaid, you know, to bring me back. That could have worked too. But you chose a fish? Three nights? Three days? This is what you chose? Did you really have to take me down to the very bottom of the ocean before you could bring me back up? If you were going to put me back on shore, why'd you go through all the trouble? Here's the thing. We're tempted to look at Jonah and it's real bad off. All the time. When God has promised us in his word... My grace is sufficient for you. I will do for you what is best for you and for my glory. But we oftentimes look at what God does and we think, there's no way God can be good because right now it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. So instead of all that, God's instrument of grace was this fish. See, God did something miraculous and supernatural to preserve Jonah for his purpose so that everyone could see that it wasn't Jonah, it wasn't a stroke of good luck, it wasn't some mythological creature that brought him out of the depths, it was God's hand. It was God's hand. So at the same time, there's some important truths that we are going to get in a way of application this morning. Seven things that I want to just point out, just so you can write them down, and seven things, seven things that we can apply to our lives and truths that we need to know. And the first thing is, what we see in chapter two is that he never lets us go. This proves our big idea that when we need it the most and we deserve it the least, that God is there for us. And the reason for that is because he never lets us go. Again, in verse number one, it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Now circle this, if you mark in your Bible, he prayed to the Lord, whose God? His God. He prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Note that personal pronoun there. He prayed to the Lord, his God. This shows that he had a personal relationship with God, and there was a sense of belonging, a sense of intimacy, a sense of a right of ownership between God and Jonah. Jonah may have given up on God, but he still recognized that God was God. Jonah may have given up on God, but God had not given up on Jonah. Therefore, God was still Jonah's God. So even though Jonah was trying to run away from him, God was not going to give up on him. And in the heat of his rebellion, Jonah still knew that he was God's and that God was his. So even when you're trying to escape God or ignore God or defy God, he is still your God. Which means he still has a say in all of it. Which means he still has a purpose that he's trying and going to accomplish in it. So he claimed us as his children to the point that he sent his son to the cross to pay our sin debt so that we could be with him forever. You see, the, the, the picture of Jonah and the story of Jonah is a beautiful metaphor of what we've done in, in, in our fall. We ran from God at the tree. You say, well, I wasn't at the tree. Adam and Eve were at the tree. Yeah, but we inherited it all. We inherited all of it. And all of us have been going to our own personal trees ever since and eating that fruit ever since. So here's what, here's what the picture of Jonah running and God still pursuing with grace is that even though his grace wasn't comfortable, it was still present. 
Why? Because he is our God. He's our creator and he is our redeemer. Do we deserve it? No. But does he give it? Yes. See, God's grace means that he's there for us when we don't deserve it and that he doesn't let go even though he has every reason to do so. And it's true, he has every reason to let go, but he doesn't. The second thing that we see very quickly is that he hears us when we cry out to him. God will hear us when we cry out to him. Jonah was probably at the farthest point he could probably be at the depths when he cried out to God and God still heard him. I'm thankful that God's prayer reception is always crystal clear. He's always got full bars on reception when we pray to him. Always. He says in verse number two, he says, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside of Sheol, which Sheol was the idea of Hades or the place that the soul went after it was separated from the body. And he says, and you heard my voice. So even from beyond any chance of life, Jonah said, I cried to you and you heard me. And that's a beautiful picture of the prayer of salvation. We all have to understand that when we are born, we are born spiritually dead. We're all living in spiritual Sheol, if you will. But God hears our cry from spiritual death and brings us to spiritual life when we call upon Jesus to be our Savior. He hears us when we cry out to him. There's a lot of things that we can criticize Jonah for, but here we can say he did the right thing. It took him to get to the place where there was nowhere else for him to turn, but when he finally did, God still heard him. Why? Why did he wait so long? Maybe he was still trying to escape because he thought he had a chance. Maybe he jumped in the water and thought he, thought he still had a chance. Maybe he was trying to escape from God because he thought, I just don't want to do this so much that I'm willing to die. And I think that might be the case for a lot of us. Maybe he jumped and maybe he thought he didn't deserve anything else because he'd gone farther than God's grace could reasonably reach. But the beauty of this is he had, there is no place that Jonah could go where the grace of God could not reach him and restore him. And that's a good lesson for us. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're a little bit like that. And this is what I tend to be too. I try to tend to be like I, tr I trust in God and his righteousness and his righteousness imputed to me and his forgiveness. But when I come to God and I say, Lord, I need forgiveness, I still believe I need to come up with my own penance. But God says, I've covered the penance when you repent. I've covered it all. Doesn't mean there won't be consequences. Doesn't mean there won't be feelings of, thank of gratitude and feelings of I, I shouldn't have done this. But God covers it all. But many of us think I shouldn't pray for restoration yet because I haven't suffered enough. I haven't suffered enough yet. Well, the truth is you haven't because the wages of sin is death. If you suffered what you deserved, grace wouldn't be there anyway. The grace of God is swift. The grace of God is pure and it's complete. And it's always time to trust the grace of God. We think the grace is only possible after we've suffered that fair amount. But there's no end to the suffering over our sin. It's what we deserve. And that's when I deserve nothing but bad and death. God offers good and grace. That's what makes grace a miracle. So he heard Jonah's cry from the hearts of the ocean and the depths of the fish and the depths of the ocean. But he'll hear our cry as well. And then number three is that his hand is always guiding us towards him. His hand is always guiding us towards him. How many of you ever heard the, old, the, the big word chastisement? 
Bible talks about God chastising or chastening the ones that he loves. Um, how many of you were ever chastised by a parent when you were a kid? Okay, what instrument of chastisement was used? Right? Paddles, belts, whatever like that. Sometimes hands or something like that. I don't ever, I don't ever uh, suggest that. But when we think about God's hand, especially in Jonah's situation, we would think that God's hand should be putting the smack down on him, right? Rather than graciously and continuing to nudge him towards God's will and God's perfect plan for his life. But even a nasty, smelly fish, even the bedrock of the ocean was God's loving hand as a father continuing to scoop Jonah up and bring him to where God wanted him to be. God, his hand is always guiding us to him. And look what it says in verse number three. He says, when you threw me into the depths, not when I threw me into the depths, not when I made the decision to go into the depths, not when the sailors threw me into the depths, when you threw me into the depths. He recognized God's sovereign hand still at work there. And I think that, God, that Jonah's recognition of God's sovereign hand went even further back, that even when Jonah was running, God was still working. God was still working. See, not all suffering and difficulty in our lives is the direct result of God's discipline or his chastisement. Sometimes the things that you're going through, the cancer you're enduring or the financial difficulties you're going through is not always due to something that you've done. But there are times when the things that we go through are direct results of the sin that we've committed and the rebellion that we've shown against God and God is using that as his grace to bring us back to him. See, Hebrews 12 tells us that God only disciplines those who are his kids. So it's a good thing when we see God's loving hand, chastening hand, guiding us towards his will because it shows us that we're his kids. Let me ask you this. How many of you, when you had kids, you took them to the playground? When kids were, you know, young enough. We still go to the playground sometimes. When your kids were on the playground and they started acting up, what did you do? Well, if you were me, you turn around and be like, I don't know who those kids are, you know what I'm saying? Somebody's parents. But no, but you look at your kids and you're like, yeah, you need to act right. But you see somebody else's kids not acting right, what do you do? What do you want? First of all, what do you want to do? Okay? But what do you do? Because you know it's not appropriate. You don't go over there and correct those other kids because they're not yours. This is what we're learning from Hebrews 12 is that God chastens those who are His. And the fact that he chastens us, the fact that he cares enough to guide us shows and proves that we're his. The fact that God went after Jonah like this proves that he was God's kid. If he wasn't, he may have just let him go. His hand is always guiding us to him. So even in the middle of our running, God's hand is always guiding us back to him. And too many times while we run, we're looking frantically for something I can grab onto to hold onto to be my new salvation because I've turned my back on my best salvation. And God says, my hand is always here when you're ready, when you see that everything else fails. Why? Because even though Jonah thought he was done working for God, God said, I still have work for you and my work for you too. It wasn't just that Jonah, I told you to get to Nineveh, go. God knew that that's what was best for Jonah. Jonah could go kicking and screaming and fight it, but it was still always going to be what's best for him. Always. Again, it doesn't seem fair. Why didn't God just save Jonah earlier, or at least saved him a little bit more humane or a comfortable way? Because sin may be comfortable to fall into, but sin is never easy to climb out of. 
Catch that. Sin may be easy to fall into, but it is never easy to climb out of. And you may be thinking, I'm not really suffering for my sin. And all I had to do to be forgiven of my sin is just trust Jesus. But talk to Jesus about how hard it is to climb out of sin. Because he was our ladder out. Talk to God about how hard it is to climb out of sin because it cost him his son so we could. He's always working to finish his work in us. And when we wonder, he's always working, paying whatever cost to bring us back. He never stops working to finish the work that he starts in us, even when that work includes dragging us out of a pit that we dug for ourselves. Number six, he's always present with mercy and grace. He's always present with mercy and grace. Verse number seven, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. See, God didn't rescue Jonah until the very last moment, but why was that? Why didn't he rescue him a little bit earlier? Because it wasn't until Jonah was at the end of his rope or at rock bottom that he remembered God and he prayed to him. It wasn't until seaweed was wrapped around his head and he was struggling for air and all of those things pulling him under that Jonah finally called out to God for deliverance. And see, what we learn from this is not to wait for our problems before we pray to God for his provision. See, determine not to see prayer as your last resort, but rather as a first response. And that's what we oftentimes do. We'll look at prayer as our last resort. And a lot of times we come home with our tails tucked between our legs, and I'm so thankful that God loves us enough that he still thinks we're redeemable even with our tails tucked. He finds us redeemable, even though so many times that's what we do. Why does he find us redeemable? It's not because we are. It's because he's chosen to look at us that way. So God's grace is never late. It's always on perfect time. The thing that we have to do when it comes to grace is not question why it showed up when it did, but thank God that it did. And while I'm, while I'm saying that too, let me just shift the gears a little bit towards evangelism and the need to get the gospel out. See, the gospel is only good news if it reaches you in time. That's what, as the church, we have to be thinking, is, is our response to grace and our, uh, our role in grace is just as Jonah's was, go to Nineveh. I don't know where our Nineveh is, but that's where he's telling us to go because we have grace to deliver. And it's only good news if it gets there on time. Jonah thankfully saw it get there on time for him, and now he was prepared to take it to Nineveh to get there in time for them. And then lastly, as we close this morning and begin to get ready for our invitation, he alone is fighting for our salvation. This is one of the most beautiful things that we see within this passage is that he's the one that's fighting for our salvation. I love what it says in verses 8 and 9. To those who cherish and look to worthless idols, they abandon their faithful love. So what he's saying is, to those people who choose not to follow God, they've abandoned their best thing. They've abandoned their only hope. He says, but as for me, as for me, I may have abandoned him for a while, but I'm not going to abandon him forever. I know where salvation is. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I will fulfill what I have vowed because salvation belongs to the Lord. So what he says about those worthless idols. Jonah says that trusting in anyone or anything other than God for salvation is pointless that salvation is only of God. And this is exactly what Jesus taught us in John chapter 14 when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That he is the only way. It's exclusively Jesus. 
exclusively Jesus. Just as the only option for obedience for Jonah was to go to Nineveh, the only hope for his help at the bottom of the ocean when he had rebelled was God's mercy and grace lifting him from the pit. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation doesn't belong to you and me. Salvation is not something for us to get and give. Salvation is something for us to fall upon the Lord's grace and mercy to receive. And then we share it with others. We share where they can find it with others as well. God is the one who is fighting for our salvation at all times. All of our salvation. We're going to see that in the last two chapters. He's not just fighting for the salvation of people who are redeemable. He's fighting, salvation, he's fighting for salvation for every man, woman, boy, and girl. No matter where, no matter who. Salvation is open to anyone who would believe. It's an Old Testament picture in Jonah of salvation for us. He snatched him from the pit and he hurled him out to walk in the newness of life. I mean, literally hurled Jonah out, right? Kind of makes you thankful for the more beautiful picture that Jesus gives of being born again, right? And when Jonah gets out there, I can just picture him there on the, on the seashore, right? Standing there looking at the fish going away or the whale going away. And, and pulling the seaweed off of his head and unwrapping him. And I think it's a beautiful picture of what the Bible says that God's grace does for us. It helps us to lay aside the sin and the weight that besets us and lets us run with patience the race that is set before us because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. See, Jonah was ready to run the race because he had been, he had been to the place where he realized that God was his only hope and God was his only best option. And that's the question we close with this morning. Do you see him as your only best option? Do you see him as your only grace? Because it's great that it was for Jonah, but what does that do for you if it never personally hits home with us? So the question we have this morning is, how do I respond to this? I think there's only really three options to how we can respond to this. Is it number one, we need to call out to him for salvation. If you're not saved, do what Jonah did. Call out to him for salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and I need you to give it to me. I need to be saved. Repent of your sins and be forgiven and be set free. Or you call out to him forgiveness. Maybe you've been saved for a long time, but there's some running you've been doing, and you know you need to be forgiven. Call out to him for forgiveness today. Or maybe what you need to do is just call out for somebody else. Somebody that you see in your life that is running and they haven't realized yet, the storm hasn't started yet, pray for them that they will see the need to return to God, to the goodness of God. And also pray, God, whatever it takes, let them see it. Let them see it. How are you going to respond to the truth of God's word today? Your response may be different, but we do need to respond. So as we sing this morning after I pray, would you come with whatever response? If you need to know Christ, if you're watching us today, you're not here with us in person, would you please email Gmail or <laughs> email GracewayLex at gmail.com or just comment in the section there. We would love to talk with you about how you can know Christ as your Savior. But if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, come to Him today. If you just need to just do business with God and say, Lord, forgive me and restore me. Take me from the depths and set me on the set me on the rock, or whatever it may need, your need may be. Come today. Father, move in this time. We are yours. So I pray that you would do as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.